How's everybody doing this morning? You good? Oh, take a deep breath. We're going on a wild ride this morning. We are finishing our series on prayer changes things. And I hope that this has been a helpful journey for you, a helpful teaching. Uh, we've uh, tried to cover a lot of the points, and today we're going to really cover uh not necessarily the final point, final point for the series, but a, a point that definitely needs to be covered, praying in the Spirit and uh, what that means and what that entails. So buckle up, we're going to pray, and let's go on this ride. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. I pray that you would open our minds, even if it's just one thing, God, open our minds to what you would have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. A few years ago, I was graduating from graduate school, from seminary, and I went to the graduation ceremony. It was held, I went to Fuller Seminary, which is down in Pasadena, and so we drove down, me and my whole family, my parents even flew out for this, and we were there at the ceremony in this nice, big, uh, a beautiful church, traditional church, I think it was a Presbyterian church. Uh, very, very beautiful. In fact, I remember even during the ceremony, not that I wasn't listening, but I wasn't listening. I was looking at the stained glass, you know, and, and just kind of reminding myself, like, oh, I love stained glass. You know, each one of those pictures has a meaning behind it. And, and, then, and then as they were beginning to get things going, they had what was called the convocation, which is when they pray before the ceremony. And so they had uh, one of the guys in my class who was very smart and you could tell he was going to be like a theological giant you know this guy was going to write huge theological books and articles he was just straight A's he was the guy you know and he got up and he, and he wrote out this really eloquent prayer but unfortunately the seminary had really got to him too much and his prayer was a lot like an essay you ever heard that you know where the prayer is just kind of like, you know, it's just, it reads more like a speech, but not like somebody is actually talking to God. And I kind of remember as he's going, and he went on and on and on, and I remember just kind of like, oh my goodness, this is boring. I don't even know what this guy's saying, you know? Because he was speaking in this, you know, this, this high theological language, and I'm sure it was lost on half the people. And then they had the second person uh, come and pray. And she was a student, she was from Africa. And uh, she was this uh, shorter woman. And she, I don't even think she used a microphone. But when she started praying, I mean, you could feel the prayer in the room. It was just powerful. I couldn't even tell you, I couldn't tell you what either of them said, but I can tell you how the one, you could just feel the power in the room. See, when we pray in the Spirit, it's not, those are not just the prayers that you hear. They're the kinds of prayers that you feel. The kinds of prayers that you experience. And you know you're experiencing them because it's more than just words. All of a sudden, the whole atmosphere of the room has changed into one of God's presence and one of God's power. You didn't just hear it you felt it that's the prayer in the spirit now i want to share a little bit of a personal testimony because i was not always 
accustomed to or even believed in any of the sort of miraculous side of Christianity, even though I had become a Christian. I came to faith in a church that didn't necessarily, I don't know if they would go up full-fledged and say, we don't believe any of this, but they did not emphasize any of it, and they did not teach on the miraculous side of the Christian faith. Praying for healing, prophetic words, miracles, uh, praying in spiritual language, what we call speaking in tongues, was simply not a part of my early church experience. In fact, it would have been considered very impolite to speak about these things or what the church elders would have considered imbalanced and wacky, cracky, kooky Pentecostal. And I remember that one of the, my early experiences with the word Pentecostal is the elders in their Bible studies would always make fun of Pentecostals. They were the butt of all the jokes and, you know, oh, they're getting all Pentecostal on us, you know, and all. And, 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 and I remember thinking to myself, the, the word Pentecostal and Pentecostals, like in a derogatory way. They're kind of like these low country bumpkin. They get too emotional. They get out of hand. We just got to kind of keep them down because we're the rational. We, we've got this. They're unbalanced. We have the balance. And so it was very much, I mean, going Bible study after Bible study, I'd hear the term Pentecostal or charismatic or miracles or healing, and it was always sort of attached to some sort of joke or some sort of snide remark. And and I drank the Kool-Aid, you guys. I was there. I felt this. I believed this. I was like, you know what? All you need is the Word of God. And I still believe that in many ways. You, you need the Word of God. And there's nothing more than that. And I just stood on a lot of those principles. But I kind of remember wondering, as I read the Bible, and I saw the early church doing miraculous things, it never made sense to me why we wouldn't have those today. Why, for a few short years, God would do amazing things and then say, ha, now you're on your own, and sort of send humanity powerless into the annals of time. I kept asking people and asking people, but they kind of said, well, you know, it's just not something you need to worry about, Tom. It's not something you need to think about. You don't want to make sure you don't go over into the wacky, kooky Pentecostal side of Christianity. And it was kind of like there was a do not talk about it list. And so after a while, I just simply did not talk about it. Even though it was in the Bible, even though I would have my questions, I would say, I'm not going to ask questions about this because all I'm going to hear is don't ask questions about this. Worship was to be quiet and reverent. Speaking in tongues equal, was equal to a psychological illness. Miraculous healings were only for the first apostles. Demons also were merely mental illnesses like schizophrenia. And I believed that for myself until one day I was in a prayer meeting. And I won't go into the whole story, but I saw and heard things that were quite miraculous. I witnessed a healing an exorcism, and for the first time I heard this thing called speaking in tongues, praying in heavenly languages. Here's the funny thing. There seemed to be nothing evil about it. 
I didn't see anybody unbalanced. They weren't handling snakes or cackling like chickens or crawling up the wall. Their heads weren't spinning in 360 degrees, you know. These were good, honest, passionate people about God. And they weren't really doing anything all that crazy. I was crazier at the Guns N' Roses concert I used to go to when I was a kid than these people were in their Pentecostal meeting. So I remember kind of scratching my head that nothing really seemed wrong about this. In fact, it was just kind of supernaturally ordinary. It was in order. Everything was done in good taste. And yet it was amazing at the same time. As we were driving home, my buddy looked at me and said, so what did you think of that? I think he knew that was going to be a huge thing for me. And I said, you know what? It's a lot different than I thought. He goes, why? I said, because I felt no fear in the meeting. Now, you'd think if it wasn't of God, you'd be filled with things like fear, confusion, and all those things that accompany sort of when the enemy twists things. But I felt no fear. In fact, it just seemed like genuine Christian spirituality, and it made me hungry for more. I remember going to bed just going, you know what? I just know this was God. I just knew it was God. But I remembered I was, I was taught by good teachers. They said, whatever you do, you've got to test it with the Bible. You've got to test it with the Word. So I, I'm reading. I'm flipping back and forth. I'm looking for all that. And I'm finding everything they were doing was in the Bible. And not only was it in the Bible, it was expected that we would do it too. I kept thinking, where does it say, now this is going to end and then you're on your own. I never found, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking so hard for it and I never found it. And finally I knew. The two Christian men I trusted the most, they led me to Christ. I'd have to go talk to them about it. Because I couldn't deny the reality of what I experienced. But I couldn't also, I didn't want to deny their teaching. And they taught, they taught against it. They taught that this was demonic. They taught that you should go see a psychiatrist if you start speaking in heavenly languages. They taught all these things. And I remember this, dis, this disconnect. I had to go talk to my pastors. And I remember for the first time in my life, I was filled with fear to talk to my pastor. Never had I experienced that. He was a man of love. He was, he was, he was amazing. And for the first time, I scheduled an appointment, and I was, I was freaked out because I just thought he was going to look and, dis, and basically discount and disrespect everything that I had read in the Bible that I experienced at the prayer meeting. I just thought, you know, this is going to be horrible. And when I went in and I said, you know what, I got to tell you. And I just explained it all just as I explained it to you. And they kind of were quiet for a minute. The youth pastor and the senior pastor were there. They kind of looked at each other and they said, well, Tom, maybe it was God. That was not the answer I was expecting from them. Maybe it was God. I mean, you know, it could have been God. And I I remember, you know, they're like, Tom, God can do whatever he wants so long as it's consistent with his character. And in my heart, I'm going, what? What? I mean, 
I know our doctrine. I know what we're teaching. I know what Elder Joe says about this and all the jokes about this. I've been a part of this thing. I'm going, what? I expected them. I have wanted them to give, you know, no, this is wrong. You should stay away from it. But all of a sudden, they open the gates. Maybe this was God, Tom. Maybe God can do this. We're saying, but the teachings of the church, they say, yeah, we know about the teachings of the church. I'm like, well, you've got to give me a more answer than this. And this is what they said. They said, you know, sometimes you have to understand most people are not comfortable with the supernatural. Most people are not comfortable with the miraculous. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to get too close to it. We Westerners, we have a, a very nice, comfortable life, comfortable way of living. And we, we love the fact that we're going to die and go to heaven and Jesus is going to take us to heaven. And that's great for them. But for now, we do anything to protect our comfort. And so part of the reason why we don't really go down there in our church is because since it makes people feel uncomfortable and can breed such confusion, we've just decided we'll leave this out. Never more have I respected a pastor for his honesty. And never more did I go home disappointed that I felt like I hadn't been told the whole truth. Now these were card-carrying people who'd signed that none of this stuff was theologically available today that none of this was doctrinally correct that these were misinterpretations of scripture they were card carrying and here they are telling me well tom here's the thing you can't put god in a box and even we know that god will do what he will do as long as it is consistent with his character and so when I further did my Bible studies and, and developed this, I came up with a phrase, and it's simply this. Praying in the Spirit is when we release God out of the box. When we let God out of the comfortable boxes that we can sometimes put Him in. Praying in the Spirit, in short, is letting God out of the box. We try to put God in a box for all kinds of reasons. We want a God that we can understand. We want a God that we can control. A God that we can kind of figure out. And for some of us, we may want a God that we can kind of keep at arm's length because we're not sure how close we really want to come to the supernatural. And let's face it, for many of us, me included, sometimes we have those moments where we are far more comfortable relying on ourselves than on the power of prayer. And we start to say things like, oh, I know exactly what I need to pray for. Well, maybe you do know what to pray for, but maybe God knows a little more. Or, I know exactly what I need. Yeah, maybe you do have a pretty good handle on what you need, but maybe God knows a little more. Maybe God knows how to provide those needs better than you. Or, I know exactly how to handle this. Yeah, you probably are very very smart but it takes a smarter man to humble himself and say maybe god knows more how this should be handled my favorite well god gave me a body and a brain 
and I, I think he expects me to use it. Yeah, sure enough, God <laughs> expects you to use the body and the brain, but there are going to be times when God gave you a brain, our limited brains, to seek out his unlimited brain for guidance and for help in prayer. And then lastly, my Bakersfield favorite, don't worry, I got this. Don't worry, I got this. And I always think, no, 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 let's change that sentence to don't worry, God's got this. Amen? God's got this. God's got this. When we kind of say these things, that's not really praying in the spirit. In fact, I've rarely seen people get spiritual satisfaction praying with these kinds of attitudes. So I want to say in case any of these pastors, well, actually, they're both not here anymore, but I'm very grateful that they took the risk that day and told me the truth rather than shield it from me. And that's really this morning I wish to do the same, that what I'm teaching on today is not some wacky, imbalanced, emotion-based Pentecostal guff that what I'm telling you about today is genuine and biblical. I will not say one thing that's not in the Bible, and I will not say one thing that I don't think the Bible supports and backs up what I've seen with my own eyes. And if we believe Hebrews 13.8, which is in the Bible, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then praying in the Spirit is not only an experience we have today, but it's an experience that we should seek for today. For I think today is just as difficult to walk with Christ as it was 2,000 years ago in the days of the early apostles. Amen? Amen. All right, so what are we talking about? What does praying in the Spirit mean? Number one, the first thing is praying in the Spirit is when God helps us pray. That's my very simple definition. Praying in the Spirit is when God helps us pray. Paul alludes to this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 and 20, when he says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me. What's that? That's, that's God helping Paul pray or speak in this case that I may make fearlessly known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change. The Greek word praying in the spirit means by means of, praying by means of the spirit or praying with the help of the spirit or in connection to the spirit. A few years ago, in fact, a long time ago now, uh, maybe 20 years ago, when this was all very new to me, uh, there was a church in downtown Seattle that on Tuesday nights they had what they called revival nights. And uh, I, I remembered sort of like, you know, oh man, those are where, where things get really out of hand. So I kind of wanted to see what does a revival night look like. And so I went with my, my buddy at the time, uh, it was before I was married, so I was, I was with my roommate. We went down and we heard a pastor called Pastor Benny Perez. And in the church... Uh, he would have the just he would have a church service, and then afterward he'd pray for people. Sometimes one, two hundred people, and these are people where they'd come up and give testimonies, testimonies of how they were healed of depression, or how they were healed of anger, or 
they were struggling with some sort of demonic oppression and, and that was lifted or that there was some uh, lack of, uh, there was anger in their home and they were able to you know, have the anger broke. So I, I remember feeling like, wow, this guy is a really powerful ministry. And when he prayed, it was, and Jesus, you know, I mean, you just, you know, it was, you definitely felt this prayer. But I was just an observer on the side at this point in my life. It wasn't something I had stepped into yet. And I remember he shared a story on a subsequent Tuesday evening. It was on Tuesday evenings. And he said, you know, he said, in church, I pray like a lion. But outside of the church, I pray like a mouse. He goes, and I need God to heal me of that. And then he proceeded to tell a story. He said, one Tuesday night, there was a waitress who had worked at one of the restaurants in downtown Seattle. She had come into the meeting wanting to get prayer because she had struggled with anxiety and depression. But her shift started. There were so many people who went forward for prayer. And she's like, I'll never. It'll take too long. I can't be late for work. So she went to work and didn't get to get prayed for that night. Well, I mean, as, as, as God sets it up, the very next day, he's in the restaurant she's working at, and she's his waitress. She goes, oh, you're Pastor Benny Perez. You have the Tuesday night thing. Say, oh, yeah, that's me. She says, you know what? I, I came to your service, and I wanted to get prayed for, but I couldn't. Would you be willing to pray for me now? I have a break coming up in a minute, uh, 10 minutes or so. He said, sure. And when she sat down across from him and, and, and whoever he was with, he said, you know, I just began to look around all these people in this restaurant. So he said, I just kind of gently took her hands. And Lord Jesus, we just pray for this woman. And I just ask you'd bless her and you know, just give her a great day, Lord. Make her happy in Jesus' name. And that was it. And she kind of like, she stood up. She, she looked at him and she said, wow, you weren't praying like that last night. And he felt the conviction because he knew he wasn't praying in the spirit. He wasn't allowing any of the Holy Spirit to flow through him. So he said, young lady, sit back down again. And he grabs her hand. Jesus, God, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would break the spirit of anxiety and depression. This whole restaurant's looking on as he is now praying a prayer that you don't just hear. You feel it. Amen? That's praying with God's help. Number two, praying in the Spirit is when our prayers exceed our limitations. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27 says, And the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches out our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because it is the Holy Spirit who intercedes for God's people in accordance with God's will. You ever have a time in your life that is so hard and you know you should pray, but you just can't even get the words out? Nothing's coming. All you're in is just some sort of agony and pain or, or just confusion and you just can't seem to get the words out. One of my mentors, his name is Pastor Bob Hasty. He was one of my early pastors, and he had been a pastor for a while, and he had experienced burnout. And so he took a sabbatical. 
he took a sabbatical to Brazil for like three or four months. I think it was four months. He went to Brazil. And he went down there to be away from anything similar. And he said, I'm going down there to pray. And then he came back and he told the most amazing story. He said, you know what? For three months and three weeks, I couldn't pray at all. I couldn't speak at all. I didn't talk to anybody. I just rested and I ate and I walked around and I stared at the sky. He said, one day, I think I stared at the wall for about six hours. You know when you get to that point, you are in what? You are in burnout. Well, depression too, but burnout, right? He is burnt out, spent. And he says, man, the rat race of America, it just burned me out. He said, but then one day, it was part of this tour, they hike up to, you know that, that statue in Brazil where Jesus is overlooking the city? He said, we got this, this, this paid for this hike, this tour, you hike, and you go up there, and it's that, there's quite a little, a little below it, there's quite a little park there and benches and everything. And, and he said, he said, ah, I'm going to pray today. And he sat on the bench and he said, I could not. The words just couldn't come out. And so finally, he leans over and he starts sleeping, not sleeping, but laying on a park branch. And he just kept groaning and saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And he was just groaning in his heart. He said, you know, the only word I got out that day was Jesus. But there was some powerful prayer that happened that day because the Holy Spirit took those groanings and amplified them in the throne room of God. He said, and I walked off the mountain that day healed and refreshed even though the only word I got out in prayer was Jesus. Amen? Uh, third, third part for praying for the Spirit is praying supernaturally uh, from the letter to Jude in the New Testament Paul writes in the last or Jude writes I'm sorry in the last times there will be scoffers who follow their own ungodly desires these are the people who divide you who follow mere natural instinct and do not have the spirit but you dear friends by building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Jude contrasts, there's natural prayer and supernatural prayer. About, oh, maybe 10 years ago, I had been taking teenagers to Mexico for many, many years. And this was probably our eighth or ninth trip, and I remember I called the missionary. I said, you know what? I think we're ready for something a little more exciting. Not that it wasn't exciting, but we would go down there and we would do these VBSs for all the kids, and, and it was great. I mean, they, they'd come out by the thousands, it seemed like. And so, it, but I said, you know, I said, I'd really like to give them a taste of something really sort of challenging in the mission field. He said, all right, let me pray about it. So we get there, and he says, hey, we're going to go to this city, and it's a closed city. Now, if you know anything about Mexico, it's actually illegal to do open-air evangelism there or, or, or do anything like we were going to be doing. But there were open cities and closed cities. He lived in an open city, but he was taking us to a closed city. And I remember while we were driving there, he's telling me all this, and I'm thinking, what? 
why are we doing this? Why are we going? We're all going to end up in jail, and then I'm going to face all these parents in Tacoma who are basically like, Tom, why did you take our kids to Mexico to get them thrown in jail? I am freaking out. He said, don't worry, don't worry. So we get there, and we're setting up, and sure enough, the constable, who's kind of like the head cop, he walks over, and he starts shutting us down. And I'm thinking to myself, if all he does is shut us down, we can get in this bus and go back, that's a good day, you know? I'm, 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 I'm praying for God, not that God will overcome anything, but that we will just be able to go home. All of a sudden, the missionary says, come here, wait just a minute. He says, wait, everybody wait. He's come here. He starts talking to the constable. And I don't know what he said, but it was like he performed a Jedi mind trick on the guy. You know, you will let us do our program today. We will do it on this street. And the cop's like, you can do your program today. You can do it on the street. You know, I mean, it's like Obi-Wan Kenobi. You know, these aren't the droids you're looking for, you know. I remember watching this in awe of just like, man, we are lowly missionaries. These people don't have to bend to us. They don't have to do any of this. And sure enough, the constable, you're fine, and walks away. As we were riding home, I said, I said, did you know that was going to happen? He said, I didn't know. I didn't know that the cops were going to challenge us here. I said, well, how, then how did, why did you bring us? I said, man, you took a big risk with my life. He said, Tom, when I prayed about it, I just felt God say, go. Everything's going to be okay. I had this surge of peace come through me that I knew, that I knew, that I knew it was going to be okay. And that this is a town I had wanted to bring these street dramas to for years. And when you said, can you give us something different? I immediately knew that's where we were to go. And I knew that the Lord had given me peace to go there. He said, even when that cop came up, I was so new that I talked to him. I said, you know what? We're here, and we're supposed to do this. This is of God. And that constable did not argue with me. He said, okay, and walked away. Amazing. Because praying in the Spirit is praying supernaturally. And then finally, number four, praying in the Spirit is, can also be when you pray in an unlearned spiritual language. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 14, Paul says, for if I pray in a tongue... In a heavenly language, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Meaning this is not a language he's learned. He doesn't know what he's saying. He doesn't know what he's praying. His mind is unfruitful. He's just praying words as the spirit flows out of his mouth. He says, so what should I do? He says, well, I will pray in the spirit. I'll pray in the heavenly languages but I will also pray with understanding. The languages, and Paul knew many, the languages I know. He says, I will sing with my spirit, but I also will sing in the languages that I know. Nearly 500 million people now claim to speak in tongues and have received a prayer language from God that they have not learned. Not primarily here. But in Africa, in Asia, in Latin America, 
Christians make up the largest contingency for this. And I was thinking about this a while ago, you know, why not here? And I think part of it is, is we have a real struggle with the unfruitful mind part. When Paul says, because our mind is unfruitful, we Westerners just can't seem to shut this off. <laughs> everything is through reason. Everything is through intellect. We process so much, probably too much, of our Christian faith solely through what we can understand. And as I was thinking about this, me and my kids were watching uh, the show Man vs. Wild. Anybody see that? Uh, that's my favorite. Come on, that's one of my favorite shows. That's why TV was invented. Four shows like that. And uh, he's a survivalist, and he does gross things. You know, he eats dead animals. He drinks stuff. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just a, it's a, it's a grody show. It's why I love it, you know. It's why me and my boys love it. And one time on the show, he has guests, right, famous guests. And, and one time on the show, he had Deion Sanders. Anybody remember Deion Sanders? Oh, come on, if you're my... If you're my generation, yeah, Deion Sanders, he is the only professional athlete to have done what? To have played in the Super Bowl and in the World Series, right? I mean, you know, put that on your resume, right? That He's a super athlete. Well, he's on this show, and if you know anything about Man vs. Wild, he takes them out into nature, and he always gives them an impossible task that they have to overcome, and this impossible task is he has to repel up like a 1,000-foot sheer cliff. And it is a sheer cliff. This is where you're bouncing off and holding on to the rope. And you can see Deion Sanders refuses to do it. And I think this is part of the reason why they do the show is to show these big tough guys, you know, kind of freak out a little bit. He's freaking out. He would not do it. And I'm watching the show and I'm like, I would not do it, you know? And I'm thinking to myself, what is Deion Sanders going to do to overcome this fear? And all of a sudden, I kid you not, you hear the man start speaking in tongues. And we're all looking at each other like, what? What? I mean, this is... A&E, this is the Discovery Channel. These are all these big secular media giants. They edit out everything, right? I mean, there's, they, they have the power to edit that out, and they left it in. And my boys are going, Dad, look at that. Look what he's doing. I'm like, I know. Deion Sanders prays in heavenly language. I know for some of you, because believe me, I was there. My new life in Christ began there. People who spoke in tongues were kooks. It was phony. It was made up. They did it for attention. And I will tell you this. There are a lot. That is very true. That is very true. I've heard people make it up. I've heard people fake it. I call it faking in tongues. <laughs> It's kind of my name for it, you know. I'll tell people, you don't need to fake in tongues today. <laughs> uh, I've seen it, experienced it, and there is a lot of that out there. I don't know why. I don't know why you would want to fake something. If you know it's fake, there's no power in it, right? It's a lie. There's no power in the lie. There's only power in truth. But I can tell you this right now. This is something real that God is doing on the earth. And if you have come from a place where they have said, 
this is psychotic and these people belong to need to go to a shrink. I'm challenging you this morning. Take what was closed and become open again. Because the moment you go closed, perhaps you put God in a box, a box that God is not going to stay in. Amen? Amen. So a couple of things. If you flip over your discussion sheet, I'll do these real quick. Don't worry. This won't take that long. Take just a minute or two. But if you flip over your discussion sheet, uh, I have some things to fill in there. You can take this home and think about it. The first thing is, I just said it, become open to the miraculous once again. Become open to the miraculous side of Christianity again. It's happening all over the world. Why it's not happening here more, I don't know. But Christianity is miraculous. Become open to it. Number two, you can be radical without being weird, right? You can be radical without being weird. Am I weird? You know, at least the first service had the decency of saying nothing. <laughs> you guys said yes a little too quickly, you know. I'm not weird. You can ask my family. I am vanilla as they come. I eat eggs in the morning. One of my favorite shows is Magnum P.I. My favorite football team is the San Francisco 49ers. I am as vanilla as they come. Nothing weird about that. Well, maybe the 49ers is weird, but nothing weird about that. And trust me, you can be radical without being weird. It becomes supernaturally natural. Number three, praying in the Spirit is all about surrender. It's all about surrender. This is the word I'd like to just share with you, to just kind of have that sense of surrender. You know what, God? I'm going to surrender to you working in my life. If you want to do something powerful and miraculous, I'm going to surrender to it. If you want to cut out some of this anger, I'm going to surrender to that. If you're going to cut out some of this pride, I'm going to surrender to that. If you're going to cut out some of this bitterness, I really want to surrender to that, you know? But just being, say, God, I surrender. I want you to do powerful things in my life if that's what you have for me. And then finally, last but not least, I don't want this sermon to just be a sermon of talk. Because you'll go home and you'll evaluate and dissect the sermon like a speech. I don't want you to do that. You can if you want. But I have something better to offer. On Wednesday, October 9th, come back to church. Let me and our prayer team here pray over you in the Spirit. You don't even have to have something you want prayer for. But if you're curious and you're open, and you're ready to surrender whatever God might do in your life. Come Wednesday, October 9th at 6.30 p.m. here at the church. We'll have it in the prayer room, and we'll gather, and we'll pray in the Spirit. And I promise you, you will feel, you will feel the prayer of the Holy Spirit upon you. If you don't, well, then I'll buy you a pizza but I promise you, you will. I promise you, you will. Come back and don't just hear this as a sermon, but experience this as a move of the Spirit. Amen? Before we close today, 
I'd like to well, just give a very simple invitation, which is to freshly surrender whatever you may feel God calling you to surrender in this moment. Surrender the closeness. Surrender control. Surrender just operating in life out of your comfort zone. Surrender and allow God to touch your heart in a fresh new way. None of us are going to be here forever. We all got that ticking time bomb underneath our sternum here. It only has so many beats left. And God says, before you experience the supernatural in the next life, allow yourself to experience it in this life. The fresh touch of the Holy Spirit upon your heart. The fresh touch of God in your spirit. So right now, why don't we respond? Just repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I surrender to your will, to your plans, to your spirit. Help me pray. Exceed my limitations supernaturally in whatever language you want. Help me to pray in the Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen.